0: Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Amen. Well, welcome. How are you? Good. It uh, does my heart good to see you sitting there. And hopefully, you're awake and alive and can hear me. I want you to get a few images in your head this morning as we open the Word. The first image I'd like for you to have in your head is that we're going to say a special prayer for Shauna and for Dalton and Siggy. So I'm going to invite them to all come on up. So uh, do you ever get tired of this part where we say goodbye to people? kind of tired of it. So uh, we uh, shared with you a few weeks ago that uh, and Dalton are heading back to Nashville and uh, feel like God's kind of leading that direction and so uh, while we always hate it we also always want to be sure that we're blessing the folks who've been with us and served us so faithfully And so uh, we always want to send them off, not only with our love and support, but also with prayer. And so uh, I just want to invite you to uh, pray with me over them. And we just want to say to you how much we love you and appreciate you. he's just soaking it up. It's like, yeah, bring it on. Yeah, go ahead. So we do, we appreciate all your sacrifice and hard work, and uh, you know, our prayers are with you, and we're asking God to bless you in this next chapter of your life, and uh, we say it all the time, but it's true. We don't ever let you go, so uh, you always have a place here and a home here, so... Would you pray with me as we pray for them? God, thank you for Shauna, for Dalton, for their journey, for their life. What we're asking is that you would go with them. We know that you have a plan. We know that you have everything laid out, and we're asking now that you would unlock those doors and that you would work out the details and that you would bless them in this next chapter of their life. Use them, their many gifts and talents, and bless them. And so we are placing them in your hands, and we're asking your Protection grace and blessing over them in all things we pray it in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and Everybody said together Amen, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you So uh, Tired of saying goodbye to people Uh, this morning we were uh, at Pasadena and uh, uh, Perry Uh, joined our worship team this morning, Perry Moore and Jim. So it's nice when somebody moves back to California. That's always nice. It's a switch. So think about this. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. And then I want you to think about this Jewish ritual. Uh, In every sacred place, there is something called a mikvah, and a mikvah is a ceremonial bath. In fact, a lot of sacred spaces in the Holy Land are identified because they're digging around in some ruins, and they find a mikvah, and then they know that this significant, this is a sacred place, and, and it's significant, and I love the ritual. So the ritual would be basically that the priest who is going to come forward and perform the ceremony recognizes his unworthiness to be there. Recognizes, you know, how he's been tainted by the work of the week, the attitude, the culture, whatever it is. And so before he can enter into the sacred space, he has to pass through the mikvah. He has to go and bathe in the mikvah. I love that image. I love that idea. I love the the, the sense that we're invited into a space in which we could take... And just think about this for a minute. I mean, maybe it would be good to have one of these things installed at our homes. Amen? Like before you go in, you're going to wash away the worry and the anxiety and the failure and the doubt. Because you're preparing for sacred duty. And you're going to be prepared and you're not ready, and you're not worthy, and there's a recognition, and so there's a whole way in which we do that. I mean, what, what an incredibly beautiful opportunity to stop and think about what that represents, that, that this ongoing humility to say, you know, I'm not there, not quite there, and I need the power of grace to wash me and prepare me for what I'm about to do next. Asking, it will be given. Seeking, you will find. Knocking, the door will be open. St. Jerome said of Scripture these words The Scriptures are shallow enough for a babe to come drink without fear of drowning, and deep enough for theologians to swim in without ever touching bottom. I'm going to try it again. The Scriptures are shallow enough for a babe to come and drink without fear of drowning and deep enough for theologians to swim in without ever touching bottom. I think that's a really great description of what's going on in the Word of God. That you don't have to be afraid of it. You don't have to be worried that you're not far enough along or have the right training or any of that. Because the Word is alive. And it is shallow enough for anyone to step into and to drink from and to draw sustenance from and to get wisdom from. Sometimes as a pastor, you know, we'll have new Christians and t- new Christians tend to appreciate the word better than old Christians sometimes. And so they're thriving on the word and then, and then somebody will say, well, I don't think they've been trained for that. They've been trained to ask and it will be given and seeking you will find a knock and the door will be opened. And the scripture is gracious. The living Word of God is gracious in that sense so that you don't have to have a big education. You don't have to have tons of training. An open heart under the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you might need to have somebody come alongside you, (laughs) but the Word of God opens. And then it's so deep that no matter how long you study and no matter how formal your training, you can never begin to plumb the depths of what's going on in the Word of God. It continues to astonish you Nowhere is that more true than in the Gospel of John. John is that place where when a new believer comes to me and says, what should I be reading? I say, read the Gospel of John. It's a masterful piece of work. And the reason it's masterful is because you don't know how masterful it is. It's just a great read. It's just a fun story. John is the vivid writer of the Gospel writers. And you think about it. Matthew's the tax collector. He's an accountant. His Gospel reads... In a very organized structure, I'm pretty sure it all balances out. He probably counted the words. (laughs) Luke is a doctor. He's spending an enormous amount of time listening to the eyewitnesses. He's reporting what he heard. He, He writes as a person who's done research and is putting together a very comprehensive research paper. It's a great piece of work. And then, you know... We have Mark, and Mark is sort of this raw, maybe the first gospel written, you know. Mark in priority is a big argument that everybody else borrowed a letter from Mark, so he's kind of the first run at the gospel, and there's a rawness to Mark's writing. And it's brief. It's shorter. And then you get John, and John is the guy that hung out with Jesus. He hung out. He was everywhere. He was in the intimate spaces. And he remembers the intimate details. He tells us things nobody else tells us. He gives us the grass and the color and the sky and the breeze. And and he weaves together his narrative. And it is so seamless that if you don't know he's being brilliant, you won't know he's being brilliant. You'll just think he writes a nice story. But in fact, he is brilliant in his writing. He has a very specific mission to accomplish. And what he's doing is he's taking these metaphors and he's weaving them together. Light and life and rebirth and redemption. And he's weaving them together in such a way that he's starting in one point and he's pulling you in and he's pulling you in. And then as he gets to the end, he makes a massive switch. Though he tells you in the beginning he's going to make the switch, it still sort of catches you by surprise. So he can't even get through the first chapter of his writing without telling us, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. These issues of light and life are going to dance together all through this gospel. Fourth verse, in him was life, and that life was the light of all people. He's already telling you what he's going to tell you. I'm going to tell you that this Jesus Christ is the source of life. Real life. If you flash forward to John 10.10, you're going to hear Jesus' words. He's going to sum it all up. This is the trajectory. Right here is the turning point. He's telling you what he wants you to understand about his gospel. The thief comes only to steal and to kill. But I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. So he wants us to have life. Jesus came that you and I might have life. And so if we haven't gotten it yet... If we haven't come to understand it yet, as he gets to the end of the first chapter, he's going to create some imagery and expectation. And he's going to dance around this idea of the baptism of the water and the baptism of the spirit. And when I saw the dove, he tells us this, he's the only gospel writer that tells us this story. When the I saw the dove descend and remain on him, I recognized that this was the one who would baptize in the Spirit. I came baptizing with water but he's gonna come baptizing with the spirit. So he's given us a first person account of John the Baptist's words, information no one else gives us. And yes, he's using it as an identifier for the messianic person of Jesus, but he's also anticipating the baptism of the spirit. So he's already telling you, I want you to play around with these images, water and spirit, water and spirit, water and spirit, life, light, water, spirit, I want you to just dance in that. This whole gospel, we're gonna dance in that and we're gonna move our way through. He begins now to to, to root that into very specific stories. Chapter three, Nicodemus comes under the cover of darkness to talk to Jesus about what it means to be saved, what it means to have life. You you can only think that Nicodemus, who's a part of this uh, hierarchy, he's well-placed, he's a part of the ruling party, he's wealthy, And he's coming under the cover of darkness because it's not popular to be seeking out Jesus as a source of information. He's supposed to be giving answers, not seeking answers. But here he is. He's asking. He's seeking. He's knocking. And Jesus says to him, you've got to be born again. And there's this conversation going on about what does that mean and how do you do that? How do you get this new life? What is it like? Rebirth. New life. And Nicodemus here, so John is saying... I'm the source of light. I'm the source of life. And here's Nicodemus. you got to be born again. As we hold ourselves in that piece of the narrative, it doesn't even slow down. We transition immediately to the woman at the well, chapter 4. I mean, I could, you know, tell you the story, but I think it's powerfully read. And this is what I want you to do as I read this story to you. You already know it. I want you to feel something. I want you to ask yourself, what do you feel when you hear this story and how John tells it John 4 1 now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples see if you did not know the underlying brilliance of this writing you would not understand why he starts this story with something about baptism because water and spirit and light and life have something to do with each other and he wants to hold us in the metaphor So he left Judea, and he went back once more to Galilee, and now he had to go through Samaria, and so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, and near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, "'Will you give me a drink?' And his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, "'You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman.'" how can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I will give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I will give them will be in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So Jesus has taken us from this moment with Nicodemus, this high-placed individual, to a well in Samaria where he is having this conversation with a woman. And in these two moments, he's telling us from here to here, I am come that you might have life. If you find yourself here, you need rebirth. If you see yourself as well-placed and you got your life together and you think you know it all, You need new life. And if you see yourself as tainted and broken and disenfranchised and unworthy, you need new life. And I am come that you might have life and that you might have it to the full. And I am in all of this from here to here. And if we haven't gotten it yet, we are brilliantly then, just three chapters later, chapter 7, taken to Jerusalem. It's the Feast of Tabernacles. And in the Feast of Tabernacles, we're celebrating harvest. And so everyone has come together. They're staying in booths to commemorate the fact that they were a transient people who didn't have a home. And every morning, the priest would go to the pool of Siloam and draw water, a vessel of water. And then he would make his way to the temple, and he would enter into the altar area, and he would pour water the water over the temple to signify, God, thank you for the rain that has provided the food, that has nourished our bodies and nourished our souls. Please keep sending the water. Keep sending the water. Keep sending the water. On day seven of the festival, the priest repeats the ritual seven times. Seven times. John picks up the story Chapter 7, verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified." Listen, that is masterful work. (laughs) On the last day, the greatest day of the festival, when the priest seven times will go to the pool and draw the water and pour it out and say, God, continue to pour the water. Give us the nourishment we need. Give us what we lack. Fulfill what we need. Jesus stands in the midst of them and says, Anyone who is thirsty, come to me, and out of you will flow rivers of living water. He extends Nicodemus the woman at the well, and now everyone. Everyone gets the invite. I ask you what you felt when you read the story of the woman at the well. When I read the story of Nicodemus, I hope he gets it. Don't you? I mean, I hope he makes the decision. I hope he just says, yeah, I need that rebirth. I hope. But when I read the story of the woman at the well, I feel differently about that story. I want to be there. I want Jesus to talk to me like that. I want to be included in that conversation. I want him to look at me and say, listen, <laughs> I want him to, to see with kindness the brokenness of my story. I mean, don't you? Don't you envy her a little bit? I mean, Jesus knows everything about her. I mean, he starts to unpack it all. And he's gentle and kind and compassionate and loving. We all want that, don't we? To not be hidden. To not be disguised. Isn't it funny how church is? I grew up, you know, and when we, we used to say, you know, on Sunday, you, you had your Sunday best. Anybody grow up in that era where you had your Sunday best? Yeah. So... Honestly, for three hours on Sunday, I wore clothes that I only wore three hours on Sunday. Everybody put on their best. And that wasn't just physically. I think we also put on our best attitude, spirit, whatever. People weren't always okay, but they looked okay. And they talked okay. But you knew underneath the surface things weren't necessarily okay. Now we've relaxed the dress code a little, haven't we? (laughs) That's good. I don't know that we've relaxed that other part. I think we still put on our Sunday best and we act like we're okay. And yet I think every one of us want to be the woman at the well. I want you to know who I am and I want you to know my story and I want you to love me anyway. And I want you to invite me to something. I want you to challenge me with something. I want you to speak into the depths of who I am and how I'm wired and how I'm made and how my story is unfolded. I want you to get personally involved with the details. And I want you to do it in a redemptive, hopeful, life-giving way. I think we get I. Emotionally get envious of that conversation. Of engaging at that level. Of seeing and hearing. Of thinking. Imagine thinking of yourself as completely unworthy. Most of your life. And then of all things. To have someone in the position of Jesus. Just a Jewish male. (laughs) Who takes note of you. Who doesn't consider you broken and unclean and unworthy. unapproachable. I think there's a sense in it that we have some longing in that moment. So I have just three questions for you this morning. Well, two questions and a statement. Number one, are you thirsty? I, I think we start in this space where we admit the need. I'm not okay. There's a void in me That hurts, and it aches, and I feel disconnected, and I feel disenfranchised. And I need something. I need something. I am asking. I am seeking. I am knocking. I am longing for something different on the inside of my being. It's interesting because physically we get this process because it happens to us. Amen? I mean, I know that I don't function as well as a human being as I used to function as a human being. The scripture says, Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Our light and momentary troubles are, are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. Is that true? I mean, I know I'm outwardly wasting away. I get it. I get it. I see it. I feel it. For a lot of us, if you could have anything you want, what would you have? I'd I'd get well. (laughs) My feet would quit hurting. My head would quit hurting. My back would quit hurting. I'd be able to lift something. The pounds would drop off. But what's the longing spiritually? The thief comes only to steal and to kill, but I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. It seems to me that we're blocking out some of the light and the life of God, and we're embracing some of the death and the darkness. If I if I just said, how much time do I spend on this stuff? Therefore, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, because what is seen is temporary, but on what is unseen, because what is unseen is eternal. That's tied together, this renewal, this light and momentary trouble that's achieving for us a glory that has to do with what I'm blocking and what I'm letting in. And there's an ache, because I'm letting this in, and I seem to be blocking this. When God gives me promises, when He, when he speaks to me about the power of, uh, of the mikvah, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, whatever. I got stuff to do. I got things going on. I have a tendency to unblock things that break me and hurt me. And by the way, these things steal and kill, don't they? If you just reviewed in your brain the things that stick in your brain, if you're anything like me, the things that stick are not the positives. There's something else. And oh, I know life's hard, and it's a divisive culture, and there's politics, and yada yada yada, and blah blah blah, and there's a pandemic, and yada. Blah, 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 blah. But the thief uses these things to steal and to kill, and we decide. But I've come that you might have life. Is there a longing? Is there a longing? Second question is this: Could you use some abundance out of you? We'll, listen to what he says. <laughs> Come, everyone who is thirsty, and out of you will flow drips of living water. Most of us would go, I wish there was some drips of living water. I'd take a drip. Amen? Maybe just a little trickle. That'd be awesome. A little trickle of living water I could spill on somebody else. Out of you will flow rivers of living water. Not a little bit, not a stingy little supply. I admit this need, this ache, this longing. I I, I lift my head up and go, Yeah, the thief is here to steal and to kill, and I am aiding and abetting. (laughs) That means I'm helping. But I've come that you might have life, and that you might have it to the full. That it might be abundant in you. That your light and momentary troubles are achieving a glory. That there's something going on inside that's renewed and rebirthed. And it's alive. I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if there was some part of us left over to do the work of the kingdom? I mean, we're so worried about the condition of the world, and yet the cure is a whole bunch of people who have engaged the longing, who have asked and sought and knocked and have plunged themselves into the mikvah to be cleansed. Day after day, moment after moment, that's why we need a mikvah. Just keep it. Just stay with it. Just have it available. When we go to Israel, we, uh, about midway through the trip, we've been in the northern part of the country. And we're getting ready to transition all the way to the southern part, to the Dead Sea. And then eventually we'll make our way to Jerusalem. And when we start that transition, we stop at a place called Yardanik. And it is the space where the Sea of Galilee dumps into the Jordan River. And there's a baptismal site there. And we take the whole group and we go... On an early morning, first thing in the morning, and we'll go. Usually, we're the only group there, and we'll get in, and we'll—I'll wade out in the water, and you can be baptized or rebaptized if you've been baptized once, but you want to be baptized. It's a different certificate. It's the same <laughs> price. You don't get a discount for being baptized earlier. You get a nice robe, and we wade out into the water and and we just baptize folks until everybody who wants to be baptized has been baptized in the Jordan. And then when everybody's done, I usually just take a swim. Just want to get in that water. You know what I'm saying? I like to kind of get under the water, just, ah. You know what I'm saying? Just, I just want to, it's only every two years and by then I need a bath. And I'm guessing that as I tell that little story to you, some of you are like, I would love to do that. There's something symbolically powerful about that image, about what it would mean to me. It would say something, it would represent something in this space where Jesus lived and taught and walked in the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River and it's picturesque and beautiful. And Don't you want abundance? Don't you want to wash that? Don't you, don't, isn't there a longing to say, I want to do that. I want to plunge that. I want a mikvah. I want a Jordan River. I want to pass through. I want to wash this stuff away. I'm tired of carrying it around. It wears me out. It wears me down. My brain is tired. My heart is tired. I'm tired of the half-life. I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired of mean. I'm tired of anxiety. I'm, I'm tired of it. I want to be different. Point three. The spirit flows. We knew he was going to do it. He told us in the beginning he was going to do it. I'm going to build image after image after image after image of the water and then I'm going to remind you of this. I will pour out my spirit on you. Chapter 1. The one on whom you see the dove of the Holy Spirit descend and remain will be the one who will baptize in the Spirit. I come baptizing in waters. But He will come baptizing in the Spirit. And you don't need a mikvah. And you don't need to go to the Jordan River. Because God has made allowance for you. And allowance for me to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. To walk in that space. To live in that space. But we have to ask. And we have to seek. And we have to knock, and we have to say, I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of embracing the things that steal and kill. I'm tired of talking about them. I'm tired of trafficking in them. And folks, we are naturally good at it. I am naturally good at it. I don't have to try to focus on things that steal and kill. Anybody else have trouble focusing? COVID brain? Yeah. Or maybe it's just... I don't know. I mean, I was driving over to Pasadena this morning, and I was thinking, i got to preach a sermon in a, in a few minutes. What, what is the sermon about? I, I read it last night, but... What series are we in? Unblocked. I need to get unblocked. i got issues. I have a hard time tracking, just because so many things interrupt my train of thought. And guess what? It's not roses and perfume. It's things that steal and kill that just keep bubbling up to the surface. Over and over and over. And I'm good at it. I don't have to try. The thief comes to steal and to kill. And we're going to need to block that. We're going to need to come against it in the name of Jesus and by the power of His blood. And we're going to have to quit talking about it and trafficking in it and gossiping about it. Because this steals our life. But I've come that you might have life and have it in abundance. I should spend some time there. I should unblock the light and the life and the rebirth and the baptism in the Holy Spirit. There's this wonderful story in 2 Kings in which Elijah is coming to the end of his journey and the end of his ministry and the end of his life. And the juxtaposition of how the story unfolds is just so weird. Because he's just confronted the prophets of Baal and he's won this wonderful victory. The fire, fire has fallen from heaven, and, and, and it's this incredibly moving moment. And, and then he prays for the drought. There's been a drought, and he, and he just kneels, and he says, God, all right, you're moving. The prophets of Baal have been defeated. Send the rain. And he sends the rain. I don't know. That's pretty heady stuff. I mean, in the prophet world, that's, that's an A-list. I mean, that's big. It's big. Controlling the weather? Yeah. And then he hears that Ahab is trying to kill him. And his whole world collapses. I mean, just that quick. The next scene we find him in, he's sitting down asking God to take his life because he's tired of living. Because the thief comes to steal and to kill. And this is symptomatic of people, human beings. And an angel comes and ministers to him and gives him some food. And he goes in the strength of that food for 40 days. And he finds himself in a cave. And he's in the cave and he's laying on the ground in a cave lamenting. Listen, this is not the image of a powerful prophet, is it? Who just days earlier saw fire fall from heaven. And there's an earthquake. But God's not in the earthquake. And there's a mighty wind, but God's not in the wind. And there's a fire, but God's not in the fire. And then there is a gentle whisper. And Elijah wraps his cloak around his face and he goes and stands in the mouth of the cave and God begins to talk with him. I believe that that is an issue. (laughs) Because I don't know about you, but I think that God would probably need an earthquake for me to stop focusing on the things that steal and kill and start focusing. And by the way, one of my observations of moving to California, isn't it interesting how an earthquake resets your priorities? I mean, you know, you think your life's really... And then God shakes the world. Well, maybe these things aren't that important anymore, you know? (laughs) Evidently, God can just... (laughs) There you go. (laughs) But it would probably take an earthquake to break the cycle in my own heart and mind. Anybody else? Or a big wind. (laughs) Or a big fire. Thankfully, we have all of them in California. But God is not in them. (laughs) He's in the still, quiet voice. And who of us is seeking and asking and knocking so that the still, small voice can speak life, can speak abundance into our heart and mind and spirit? My prayer for this church, for you as individuals, Is that we block all of the destruction, the thief that steals and kills, and we unblock the light and the life. And we focus about this, and we talk about this, and we traffic in this, and we quiet ourselves day after day. Like every moment, I'm getting in the mikveh. I'm getting in the mikveh. I need to be bathed in the Holy Spirit again. I need to be washed again. I need to be helped again. Some of that got on me again. I'm going to need a little help here. And I can get in the mikveh anytime I want. I'm going to wade into the Jordan River. He's not baptizing with water, he's baptizing in the Spirit. You don't have to be in that space. You can be in this space. Everyone who is thirsty, come to me, and out of you will flow rivers of living water. But we've got to seek it, we've got to ask. We got a desire. I want to say a prayer over you. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. Would you just bow your heads? God, collectively in this moment, we come before you. And we're quieting our hearts and quieting our minds. We don't just want to talk about your presence. We want to experience it. So around this room... With our online congregation, we are asking. I want to invite each one of you to just pray about the ache in your own life, where it is that you hurt, what it is that you need. Take all the things that still and kill your spirit and recognize them for what they are. Just temporary parts of life. But the thief will use them to steal and to kill. Maybe in this moment, just... Pray against it. In Jesus' name and by the power of your blood, we come against those things that steal and kill the life that you have given to each one of us. We stand against them. We ask you to forgive us as we traffic in them. We ask you to help us to see them for what they are. We we know that this is a human condition. We, We read David's lament of how his spirit is quieted within him how the joy is gone away we recognize the humanness of it but we come together as a congregation and day by day and moment by moment we're gonna recognize it we're gonna recognize that we need to take a moment to block that stuff there might be real need in there and we surrender that to you the God who in all things is working for our good who wants to heal what's broken, who wants to mend what has been torn apart, who, who wants to give us rebirth into a new life. The old is gone and the new has come. We want that light. We want that life. We recognize that you have offered to us the gift of your Holy Spirit. To bathe us anytime, to wash away brokenness, to wash away hurt, to walk, wash away distraction, discouragement. But we also recognize that you won't bowl us over with an earthquake or a fire or a wind. You'll wait for us to quiet down and you'll speak to us in a gentle whisper. would you remind us that although we would love to have a moment in which you just fix everything and you make us who we ought to be and we recognize that this is a moment by moment journey we'll need to get in the mikvah over and over and over we'll need to seek and ask and knock over and over and over daily we want to walk in that space we'll want to invite your spirit to wash over us again and again and again and we'll have to quiet our minds and block the distractions Would you forgive us because we have blocked you and blocked life and embraced what steals and kills and then wondered where you are? So do your work in us. Every individual, those who are gathered in this room, those who are joining us online, those that will walk through the course of this week, I place this group in your hands. I pray that you would give them the wisdom to recognize what is stealing and killing the life in them. And that by your strength, in your name, and by the power of your blood, you would break those bonds. You would break that cycle. You'd give real rebirth, real renewal, real light, real life. And that you would wash over them with an abundance of the Holy Spirit. Not in our own strength. We're just humbling ourselves and seeking. I pray your blessing of the presence and the voice and the gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit over all of these lives that are represented. May you speak moment by moment and day by day through this coming week. Make us hypersensitive. Send messages into the hearts and minds of your people to know again that you have come, that we might have life and that we might have it to the full. Abundance. Rivers of living waters in a culture that is so desperately thirsty and doesn't even know it. May we be salt and light and life. I pray, God, that you would do your work in us. We surrender it all to you. I commit these people to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said together, Amen. Amen. We're going to respond to his word. Let's stand together. We were the beggars Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.